Welcome. I am Carol Sanford. I am the host for The Responsible Capitalist, a podcast which helps you learn to align your investing values with your life values. Today, we're going to look a bit at how, as an investor, you might assess or use one instrument for how you can assess an early stage conversation with either an angel investment that you want to make or a growth stage investor. You will find more about this material in my book, The Responsible Entrepreneur, Four Game-Changing Archetypes for Founders, Leaders, and Impact Investors. But to start with, it would be helpful if you were able to, in your mind, just envision three concentric rings. That means one circle nested in a larger circle nested in a larger circle. Now, the re reason I do it that way is when I'm thinking about investing, either as an angel investor or even just a traditional investor, I really want to be able to look at something much deeper than just the financials. We've looked a bit at the financials before, and we'll come back to that again. But I want to look at how it is we understand the context and the impact of the business so that we actually can interpret the impact of our investment. So the first ring, that inner ring, the smaller ring, is the ring that I call like the first line of impact. And the first line of impact, the first ability we're going to have to determine the impact is based on the founder and maybe co-founders or a very tight small group that has uh, initiated a business. What we want to look for, and I hear this from many of the uh, other folks that I interview, is you're looking for the nature of vitality and resilience of the entrepreneur themselves. Do they, when they get knocked down, have a way to get back up and go again? I ask a bit more in-depth question, like the one that's behind that. I want to know, are they intentionally and consciously working on their own growth, on their own understanding of not just the market, but the customers and the lives of people who are in that market? So I often ask questions in an interview way to find out how are they making sure that they aren't stuck with where they started and they aren't stuck with their dogma or their rigid ideas. I'm looking for that resiliency in mind as well as resiliency in action. So I will ask those kind of questions of all of the folks who are involved. The second ring out is it's very important whether or not they consider themselves as part of a community of investment. Now, what I mean by that is most investments will think of themselves as we are a company and we're connected to our investor and we're connected to our customers, but they're separated from one another. They haven't figured out how you actually bring together the investment, the entrepreneur, the community, the stakeholders who live in that community. How is it that you're engaging? Because the success is going to come from having everyone who is a part of it feel like they are contributing as well as staying connected in their own growth and their own discovery. So I'm rarely interested in the Lone Ranger. If I find someone who says, well, we don't do too much tracking of you know, people who are around us or what our investors think, we keep them informed, we keep them up to date. You know, Certainly they come in and they give us advice, we appreciate that, we have a different set of mentors, and you can hear them that the entire process is keeping them in the center and keeping it very fragmented. So one of the questions that I want to know is how much do you consider investing in creating a community process, an interactive, dynamic, living community process? The third ring I call the third line of uh, impact. So the middle one is the second line of impact. Am I impacting, connecting to community? The third one is what is the system effect? 
When most uh, small businesses form themselves, they're thinking about the effect being on their own life. It's like a lifestyle entrepreneur. And that turns out to make up more than 50% of the people who start a small business. Hard to track those numbers because almost all entrepreneurs want to make their own life better. There's a next ring or so out, though, that can move to not only do we just want to affect the consumer, the people who want to buy from us, and the ecological effect that we might be having with our product, what it does and how we make it, but they actually want to look at, can we affect something much bigger? So those of you who have read uh, or seen The Responsible Entrepreneur, my most recent book, you know that I talk about four portals of system effect, and I actually ask questions and push to find out how they're thinking. So I had the opportunity to meet Steve Jobs because I was teaching at San Jose State University in a crossover program between business and urban planning and information technology when Apple was being founded. Now you know how old I am. And in that process, he continuously said, in the meetings, the few that I got to be in where he was, but I heard it in all of the Apple students who came in, they were continuously talking about redefining, reimagining, reconceptualizing an industry that they wanted to bring something forward that never existed and then everyone else would understand that what it should be like. That ability to affect an industry drives a much more powerful set of thinking because you're thinking about setting the, the standard for an industry in leadership. There also are ways to affect an entire system, the social systems that we live in and their effect. So one of the, um, the small businesses I've been blessed to get to work with and who uh, have their own struggles but also their own joys is community source capital. Community source capital really represents a great deal of what I'm talking about here in terms of thinking about impact. Let's go back to the center ring so you can see how it builds out. They spent time developing and working on themselves, and still do. Not only did they start with going back to school at Bainbridge Graduate Institute, now called Pinchot, and working on developing and understanding a very different way to think about business, but they also have become a part of the seed communities that uh, I've been blessed to uh, have people involved in, where they really work on their own growth, their own strategy, plus they see themselves by definition as community-based investors. What they do is they raise capital interest-free, so you get your capital back, but not interest on it, so there's no chance of usury in the process. And they loan that to people in a neighborhood. Mostly people know who they're loaning money to because they help raise it. Now you can see you've got the investor and you've got the entrepreneur all held together. But every time you listen to Rachel Maxwell or to Casey Dillaway or any other member of that team talk, you know that what they're working on is changing the idea of how financing of business happens, bringing it back not just to local, but to neighborhood, bringing it back to knowing, not just counting how far it came away from. So I ask these kind of questions as an investor, and I actually know that although these sound like grand ideas that must be quite ethical and responsible, these are the things that determine the actual return. Now, why is that? Because 87% of businesses that are founded this year will not exist in 10 years. In fact, it's more like seven years. It's speeding up all of the time. When I know that they're working on their own growth, they see themselves as a community of investors, and they understand that they're trying to change something larger, I know they dream bigger, they work bigger, because they're driven by the meaning of what they're doing as well as the effect. 
Today, I'm going to introduce you to a woman who has been moved that path herself. She has moved the path from being in the big corporate world, being in the big investing world, even being a writer for the Financial Times, and how she has moved through a series of lives, she calls them. I have three different lives which really help you begin to understand the number of things you have to take into consideration when you land in the space of being an angel investor. So welcome, Marianne. Would you please introduce yourself to uh, my listeners and just give a little, you know, a couple of sentences background on who you are. Yes, hi, uh, Carol, thank you for having me. So my name is Marianne Abitesh, and uh, I have, uh, I'm one of these person who has actually three lives. I started my career as a corporate high flyer in finance and strategy, working for companies like Arthur Anderson, General Electric, and Motorola. Uh, that, that first slice of my life took me up to uh, being the global CFO of Shell Aviation um, before I was 35. It was a fascinating experience working on a, on a strategic reformulation of a business that was sizable. $20 billion uh, revenue and half a billion net income and learning all the ropes of being in the big corporation. Then I started what I would call my, and that first life went on for about 15 years. And then I started a second life, which is as a writer. I wrote a book for the Financial Times about how to lead effectively and get results that was published in 2013, so about a, a two years ago now. And this, you know, triggered a a change in me because once you become a writer you cannot go back and not being a writer anymore so I, I still write about leadership investing the word in general for a couple of publication and very recently a couple of years ago I've started my third life which is as an entrepreneur and I've currently created two businesses one is an advisory business about oil and gas specifically looking at high barrier to entry market uh, as in countries like Iraq, Libya, Chad, Africa, and working a solution for a customer that want to play in the entire value chain of the oil and gas industry. And I have another company, which is more what I call about impact. So I think it's going to be very relevant for what we're going to try to achieve today because it's a, it's a company called Lead the Future. It's a leadership lab, and what we do is we're working with small and medium enterprise, but also family offices and help address the key man risk and help, help them address legacy and impact. What, what do they want their business to be like? How are their business um, fitting with the entire society and the world we live in? How can they develop a legacy that is going to take into consideration impact and where the world is going. So that is that is who I am, a corporate person turned writer, so the creativity side, turned entrepreneur to hopefully uh, make this world a little better place to be in and a more sustainable place to be in. Uh, because you have a, a strong background in the financial world, I think mm -hmm. you are a very good person to help folks understand how to think about different types of investing. Like you clearly do an investing which many people divest themselves from completely, oil and gas. And on the other hand, you work with families and companies who are doing impact investing. You worked in the world of finance for many years. How do you think about the different like pots or, or arenas of investing and what's the purpose of each of those for you? 
I think, you know, um, it's interesting because I never had a real like strategy or sit down. This is how I'm going to invest. I think life happens and you start making money. Then you start deciding, hold on, I have a bit of money. What do I want to do? And very first, very naturally, you go to real estate because you're safe. Whatever happens, you're going to have a roof under your, over your head, above your head. And then you start becoming a bit more astute. And in my case, you know, going up the rank in finance. So I start really looking at uh, equities and stock options and playing the stock market. And then you say, well, you know, there's a volatility impact on that. The economy is going up and down. So let's also do, you know, what do we believe from a risk-free perspective and go more on the bond side and the obligation side. And then you you become, you go up in your career, you start taking into consideration um, the people, the human capital side, the leadership side, and then very naturally you evolve towards private equity. So you want to be more in control, you want to see things that are more tangible, and also you want to start investing in people. And then depending on you know what you have, what your capital available, I started becoming an angel investor, uh, taking startup and for me, it was creating a portfolio of investment was two reasons. First reason, clearly, like anybody else, and I'm going to share a story about that in a second, it's, a, it's about the, you know, you find a golden gem and you're going to become independently wealthy because you have bet on the right horses when it comes to a startup. And I used to work in, in Shell Aviation, as I said, and one of my co-workers, was this lovely Canadian lady, um, her name was Julie. And Julie in meetings when you, know, when you go in the business and you're working on a strategic agenda, everybody gets very emotional and stressed and everything. And this lady, she was completely calm all the time. Very, you know, very in there, but very kind of like relaxed about everything. Like she had no worries in the world. And then one night we were going out for dinner, as we all do with the management team. And I asked her that question. And then she looked at me and she said, but you know, Marianne, I had the great luck to invest in eBay when they were at the very, 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 very beginning. So I smiled and she smiled and I'm like, okay. And then, you know, I went back home, I told my husband, and I'm like, you know what? This lady, she's very involved in the business, but she actually does it because she wants to be there. She wants to work this way. Because from what I understood, she doesn't need to work anymore. So the angel investing side, that, that's how it crystallized for me, like becoming an angel investor. First for that, because I'm like, maybe, just maybe, you can find a startup that is going to set you for life. Um, the second thing why I think it's interesting becoming an angel investor is um, the, the, the feel-good moment because most of those startups, people have, or maybe earlier in their career, they haven't done the entire corporate shaban and everything. And sometimes you know you can help them get to the business they want because they'll be green, so you can give them back a lot of your experience. Mm -hmm. A lot of your contacts as well. Of course, you have to negotiate and sit on the board or what have you. So, so other things. So you bring the money, but what I liked about it is also bringing the in intangible. So the impact side. They had an extra business brain, a bit older than them, with a bit more contact that can help them maneuver and make this business, our business, at the end of the day, better with higher uh, chances of success. 
the the third thing of why I want I started angel investing that it started as a as a portfolio as an investment approach, but it turned out to be something else because becoming an entrepreneur was kind of within me, and you know do I do it or do I do it and you know when you invest in a startup, uh, if you're ready to lose money because it's never guaranteed anyway, what you actually get out of it is you you test entrepreneur life or entrepreneurship life without taking too much risk and then you can decide or you can see what are the qualities they all have idea energy um, enthusiasm resilience ability to be agile ability to open their mind and then close it again um, you know you, you you see what's very difficult finding the right balance of opportunistic approach but also focused and structured approach you also test like do you like it do you like this complete uncertainty on everything does it give you more freedom or does it give you too much fear so it was kind of like a crash course you know um, as I used to say, you don't learn how to ride a bicycle by, by looking at it on paper or drawing in a, in a book. You go and actually try to ride it. So for me, angel investing was my learning how to ride a bicycle, which was, do I want to set up my ventures or not? So I started very like financing, like real estate, uh, stock up, I mean, stocks, equities, a bit of something safer. And then I went into much more riskier from maybe from a financial perspective, but much more rewarding from a personal perspective and also a what do I want to go and do with the rest of my life perspective. Do you have a story of any angel investing uh, opportunity you've taken advantage of and could give us a little bit of the concreteness from the idea you just shared? Yeah, so uh, I invested as as a person when I looked at the angel investing part, uh, the way I, I went about it was, oh, hold on, if we, you know, everything is created in a context and with a purpose. So I, I was looking at, if I look at society today, what the world is today, what are the things that are going to be massive pain in the future? Mm -hmm. And three with three or, or, or bring massive gain in the future. So very strategic thinking, very strategic approach to that. And then I realized I had three industries or three sectors. One was oil and gas. When you're an angel investor, it's very hard to play on the oil and gas sector because you need, you know, the, the capital unit is very big. The second was healthcare. Oil and gas because of the energy agenda in everyone's planet, the renewable, the climate change and all that. Second was healthcare because of the pure demographics of aging population, dementia, housing and everything. And the third was technology because we are in a technology driven um, world. And actually this technology industry was cutting across the other two because you have technology to, you know, increase the performance of wells or the technology on R&D for, for oil and gas company. You have biotech uh, in pharma and everything. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to play in those three sectors. And this is how I build the portfolio. So I built, we, I invested in healthcare company, technology company. One technology company I've invested in is um, a company called ProFinder. And they do it's kind of like it's the uh, the he harmony, so matching system without the, the the corporate world, because they believe that if you match the right competence with the right project, 
you increase the sustainability and the profitability of your business. And um, the founder, his name is Roger. So what started as just an investment actually developed into me learning from them. I was sitting on their board. I was I was actually the only woman on that board. So I was the one when all the investors were a bit tough with him, putting things back into context. Uh, I was the one trying to help him to, to keep moving and not be too much bugged down by the investors or what they were thinking or not because at the end of the day it was his company and it was his idea uh, we tried we opened some doors for him we, we did some introduction and watching him going through the motion i realized that we i invest in this company or we invest in the company with my husband two and a half years ago the company that we invested in is actually very different from the company today the the uh, the offering the target audience the um, the DNA is the same but the what they were what they thought they were going to serve as a market has actually evolved a lot so you know for me it was as I said it was a financial investment in a strategic sector that turned out to be a, a learning experience because I saw how the original business plan got transformed. I saw how the dynamics in the board with different investors worked out. I saw how, um, you know, when you when you do the first raise and then you do the second raise or whatever, the the, 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 um, the DNA of the company can change. How the life of a startup is really like the life of of, uh, of a human being from a baby to taking this personality and finding their core and then moving on. So that was the rewarding part of what I'm talking about when I say invest for the money, but you get something much more out of it. Would you do a similar kind of rift, uh, we might call it, on your work in the social investing, impact investing side, why you do uh, a part of that is one of the worlds you live in and an example? Yeah, so that's a bit more difficult because I haven't done yet an angel, a financial investment with a social impact. I mean, the two companies I've created have a very strong impact element. We're working with emerging markets. We're working with a difficult market because what we want is give them access to capital, but also access to know-how. Now, you know, I... Um, I've always been very interested by the social impact side, but where do you draw the line? What do you call a social investment? Is it a zero return? So then why don't you go nonprofit? Why do you call this an investment? Is it 20%? Is it like less than a normal return? But how do you define a normal return? Because in the private equity world five years ago, the normal return was double digit, you know, starting with the, to 20%. Now, are you happy for a by, by, with a 12 or 7% return as long as it's sustainable? Uh, what does impact mean for you? And those are very nebulous questions. For me, the way I, I'm more and more looking at investing is what does this particular company do for the greater good of the population? I'm, I'm more in um, a population and an education like it resonates higher than me than the, the pure environment thing, you know, water and all that. Because I'm in oil and gas, it, it's important, but it doesn't resonate as, as much as 
uh, woman education, for instance. You know, woman education is something that for me is really a project of impact where I want to do something. And now when I'm, when I'm looking for investment, I'm gearing more and more towards a uh, woman-driven venture, as in where the woman founders is a woman, and, and, so, and something more around the education side. Uh, would, I, would I look at it differently? Of course, because, because I know I'm going to do something good and it's going to have an impact locally or microfinance or what have you, I'm going to be less stringent with the return. If I'm, but this is a choice I'm making. It's more a passion investment. I'm happy to say I'm going to invest five and I'm going to get a 5% return, but I know that this company is going to help women do this and that. Whereas, you know, my, my usual mindset is more, I want 10 to 15% return sustainable. So it's, it's a, I mean, becoming an angel, uh, an angel impact or a social investor, it's a very personal journey. Is where do you put your cursor between the materiality, materialistic side of yourself and the more humanist side of yourself? And no one can decide for you. You gotta take this decision, you know. I, I'm very, it makes me smile when people say, oh, we need to become social investors. I'm like, no, you don't. You do it if you want it. But if you say you need, you will never find something you like because in the back of your head, you're going to say, well, it's not 15% return. It's not 20% return. So when you, when you look at the, the act of investing, you always have a, a pool of capital to allocate. Mm -hmm. And you allocate depending on your heart and what you want to get out of it. So it's never you need. It's like, what can I afford? And what am I comfortable uh, getting as an overall return? And those are very personal discussions. I think it's wonderful to experience the intricacy of the due diligence process, which is one of the things that I wanted to ask you a bit more about, and you've been doing that along the way anyway. But I'm thinking when I go look for an investment, there is a whole process that I go through on thinking about it, and it includes I do angel investing, I do um, I don't call what I do impact investing. I think it's all investing and I want it all to have an ethical, responsible uh, practice to it. But I have a process I go through about finding those and finding how I connect my passion. I'm wondering, how do you do that? How do you seek out, find that due diligence, an entity that you're considering putting uh, your heart and soul as well as money into? Um, see, it's... Uh there, for me, there are two things. It's like, how do you source opportunities? That's one side. And then how do you assess the opportunities, which is another side. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Sourcing opportunities, I do it all by network, you know, um, because, and that, that is really related to the first investment I made. I made a first investment with a group of people that were always investing together. And they were, you know, they were a bit more, they had much more money than we had or than I had. They were all ex-bankers and everything. And they had um, a great, they're older than we were. So they had so much more, they had a vision and they were plugging the universe much better than I was. So in the beginning, you know, I went with them. I joined a couple of uh, investment clubs like the, uh, the um, LSC one, uh, one in Hong Kong as well, uh, kind of shopped around. And once you've done a couple of investments, 
uh, you actually end up being on some people's list and people send you stuff. Uh, what my, my, so what I'm trying to say is sourcing the deals is not an issue anymore. As long as when you start, you plug into the right network and with people that are a bit more experienced than you, so they can also filter some of the deal for you, you're well sorted. So if you want to start on how do I source deal, start looking at and um, business school angel investor network are really good or business school entrepreneurship network are always very good. And then um, ask around and you, you'll be surprised when you say, oh, I've invested in a startup and you start having a conversation about that in your circles of friends or professional circles, people start talking about that, you know, and then you create, oh yeah, you know, this and this and that. Assessing deals, assessing deals is a completely different process for me. Um, okay, again, I'm a CFO by background, so, and I've, and I've, I've, you know, I worked on buying assets, selling assets on the private equity side and everything for, for the company I worked for uh, and now, you know, on the advisory side. So it comes a bit, it comes not naturally, but, you know, looking at the PNL, looking at the balance sheet, looking at the business line, stuff I know how to do. But with now 15, 20 years, almost 20 years of working experience, I realized that most of the time you can take a business plan and do that and scratch it. And what matters in angel investing is the person. Mm -hmm. So I spend a lot of time trying to understand this person. And my, my, the biggest part of the due diligence once, of, of course, paying gain, does it make sense? Does it stack up from a number perspective is about the personality of the founder. Do I have a key man risk? Is this founder uh, able to dilute the leadership, empowers other? Is he structured? Is he agile in his thinking? Does he observe and react? Um, does he have resilience? I mean, you know, as in, uh, can we, you know, it happened to one of our investees. Uh, overnight, he lost his uh, pack of investors for the second round. And that was a, you know, we already had invested in the in the company. We say we're not going to do the next round, but other people were supposed to, and they didn't. And it was a very acid test because Simon is the name, and he, it's another software as a soft, uh, as a service company called Wazuku, who's doing very well in Europe and in the US now. And uh, Simon went around, and he turned some of them back into investing on the second round and he, uh, and he made them open some other doors. So the guy didn't say, well, that's over, it's done because he lost his pack. He went and get, get on, knock on every door, turn every stone to find new investors. And that is resilience, you know. And I will invest my money in people like that a hundred times. Um, what I look as well is the, if they have an advisory board, what's the level of seniority and the, the level of uh, diversity or needed expertise in that. Because uh, I, I do believe that any founder of a company it should be able to articulate the value equation of their company very clearly. And if they don't have the expertise to deliver on that value equation, have either in their team or in their board the people that can chip in. I want you to tell people how to find you, again, what the name of your book is, 
and if they would yeah. like to in some way connect with your work or with you, tell us what the best way to do that is. Yes. So uh, I have two companies. One is called Lead the Future and one, the other one is called Eastern Intelligence. So if you are an oil and gas person, contact me at Marian, M-A-R-I-A-N-E, at eastern-intelligence.com. If, so, if you are someone more interested in uh, working on developing sustainable business and uh, the exactly what I said, this intuition and structure paired together for the greater good of your project, contact, it's the lead the future part of the business and it's, uh, the address is Marianne, still the same spelling, at leadthefuture.biz, B-I-Z. And the book I wrote, I'm going to show it to you. Great. Is the Financial Time Guides to Leadership How to Lead Effectively and Get Results. So right. if you don't find me anywhere, Google this and you, you'll be able to find me. And I will put it also in the text part below uh, the podcast and give people a link. Um, the to uh, did, did you list a website there? I heard two emails. Is Lead the Future also a website? Yes, both both are websites. So it's www.easternintelligence.com and the other one is www.leadthefuture.biz. And you're saying Eastern Intelligence, E-A-S-T-E-R-N. Okay, you have a lovely accent. And sometimes a letter, uh, I want to make sure people get it. Well, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for spending the time. And um, we'll let you know when the podcast is ready. Thank you, Carol. Have a lovely day in Seattle. Marianne, that was fabulous. Talking about how to think about angel investing is so difficult because you don't have all the normal kind of grounding that you have when you're looking at a growth stage business or at a Fortune 500 or 1000 public company. So I really appreciate the depth and consideration that you put into that. And if you would like to hear more from Marianne, you can find more of the clips that we didn't put on this podcast uh, by going to our Vimeo website and just put in Carol Sanford. Uh, You can even put in Marianne's name. I want you to also know that we have many more wonderful podcasts, not just for the responsible capitalist, as this one was, but for the responsible entrepreneur, both of which can be found at www.seed-communities.com. So seed, S-E-E-D, hyphen, communities, plural, dot com. There we also have a ways to check in and connect with blogs, with my books, and with many workshops and communities that we build across the globe. Thank you so much and join us again next time. 